Well, good morning. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's the text that the Lord has given us to focus on this morning in his providence as we continue to make our way through this book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 13 through 18 in just a moment. And I'll say that I'm just happy to be back with you guys, and um, happy to see some faces. Just kidding. All these beautiful faces. And uh, really, thanks for being on this journey with me. Um, it's, uh, it's humbling, but um, while I was gone, I've learned so much, got to hear God's word explained in such a way that I'll be able to bring it back to you. Missed all of you and prayed for you. And um, I was thinking about some of my time in terms of my schooling and, and how much it is not an end in and of itself. It's just a means to an end. And the means uh, and the end is the ministry of our church, the ministry here within our church and the ministry from our church to reach our community. And so we want to be as faithful as we can as a church. Um, and so we, we want to grow. We want to always continue to grow. And I hope that you desire to grow continually in your faith. Um, we want people to come in here and grow. We want to reach others. And so I was able to be with just some wonderful Bible teachers. And, uh, and what I've learned in, in many ways is that in seeing some of the top ministries and leaders in, in all the world is that we have an incredible church. We, we really do. We really have a very healthy, wonderful church. Our members, our ministries, our leadership, our processes, our beliefs, our resources, our mission, our vision, we should be blessed and very thankful for what we have. And, um, and so I, I'm excited for you to go on this journey with me and, the, and the, even the rest of our pastors, Pastor Chad as well as he's on this journey. I bet you didn't think that you're going to go back to school, did you? But uh, you got to imitate me as I imitate Christ, and therefore, you're going back to school, okay? Um, but uh, January, I'll spend one week uh, away. July, I'll spend another two weeks. January, then the following January, another week, and then I'll be done traveling. Um, and so uh, thank you for praying. Continue to pray with me. Um, the email that I sent to the members that I emailed you, um, some of you have asked. There's a couple syllabus, syllabi. Uh, in there that uh, were just generic copies because I didn't have them yet. And so I kind of just copied and pasted from the online platform that I used and sent it. Um, but I have those now. So if you want to see some of those books in those particular classes, I can, um, I can send them to you. Some of you guys, uh, I know, want to read some of the same books that I'm reading and, and write some of the same papers <laughs> that I'm writing. Kidding. Uh, but those are good resources for you guys to grow. Uh, we can all kind of grow together at the same time. Um, same thing's happening with uh, Pastor Chad is whatever he's learning, he's teaching you guys in those biblical counseling classes as well. Um, pastor Bo, uh, the, on the trajectory towards being a pastor, um, he's in schools as well right now. What he's learning is just coming out in, in his time with you guys. And so it, it's wonderful for the stream not to be stagnant um, but it, to be moving um, and uh, with learning and, and learning that we can um, invest into you. Um, so I plan to send another update for you guys when the semesters end. I, I plan to do something like 10 things that I've learned um, this semester and uh, for you guys to hold me accountable and for me to just encourage you. And so feel free to talk with me anytime. I'd love to grab coffee with you. And, um, and help in any way that I can or, or share anything with you. We have Brother David Grantham back from a month of being away as well. And uh, we're, so we're thankful for that. And uh, everyone's coming back from vacation, so it seems like we're ready to rock with the fall. Um, so let's turn to the Word of God, as we always do. And uh, we're going to continue to honor His Word, as we always have. And we're going to do that this morning. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 
through 18. That's the text that we're in. Hopefully you're already there. And follow along as I read verses 13 through 18, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What an incredible passage. And what we're seeing in this passage as we look at it is Paul informing the Thessalonian believers about those who have died in Christ. He's informing this church in Thessalonica about those who have died in Christ, believers who have died especially as it relates to the rapture. And so he does this to bring comfort to these believers. Believers who have died in Christ, what happens to them? What's going on there? Especially as it relates to the rapture. And he's doing this to bring comfort to these believers. And so they're going to be continuously comforted by understanding the truths that Paul is teaching to them here. He's teaching that to them, and they are going to be comforted continually through his teaching here. They're going to be comforted about believers who die. And the comfort is going to speak directly to the rapture. And so I've entitled this message, Present Comfort from Future Knowledge, because that's exactly what's happening here. He's giving them knowledge that's going to allow them to have comfort, knowledge particularly about the future, so that right now they can be comforted. That's what Paul's doing here. And uh, even as believers in Christ, you can relate we face the reality of death all around us. You and I face the reality of our own coming death. We face the reality of the death of the people around us, people we love. And even though we have teaching from the scriptures, we're oftentimes confused about what will happen. We have a general idea, maybe, about what takes place after death, what the end will look like. We have a general optimism as believers about death and what happens after death, but we're still a bit confused. We're still a bit confused about it, exactly what happens. And confusion, when we're confused as believers, it doesn't lead to anything good. It only leads to despair. It only leads to questions. It only leads to fears. And so those who promote that it's a, no, a, a noble thing to be confused about particular doctrines as a Christian, that's not true. Don't believe that. It only, confusion leads to, 
to, to despair. And so then when we're confused, we're really no better off than the world in terms of hope. If we're confused about the teachings of the Lord, about death, about what happens in the end, we're really no better off than the world who knows, knows nothing about the Lord, nothing about what happens after death or, or the future. And there's no point to have a hope if we remain ignorant of it. And so we can be confused about what will happen to believers who we love when they die. We're confused about ourselves and we're confused about God's plan beyond this life. And it produces unnecessary fears, unnecessary grief, unnecessary uh, uh, desires. But listen, we're not alone in that confusion because that's what's happening here to the Thessalonian believers. They're confused. And so what's Paul's solution? Paul's solution is to inform them. That's what clearly the Thessalonian believers are experiencing. They're confused about death, what happens after death, and particularly what happens to the believers who died when it comes to the rapture, when it relates to the rapture. They're concerned about believers who died. And all of this is not very hard to see. I'm going to explain it to you. So what Paul is going to do, listen now, is he's going to give them some teaching to give them hope, to give them clarity, to give them comfort, to give them confidence so they can live confidently until they're either taken home by the Lord or until they die and go home to be with the Lord. Whether he comes or whether they die before he comes. And listen, let me tell you, you can have the same clarity about all of this. You can have the same clarity about all of this. You can have the same peace about all of this, the same confidence about all of this, the same hope about all of this. That's why Paul's written this here. It's for them and then it's for us. And so we're going to take our time in this section. We're going to kind of squeeze out all the juices that are in here and, uh, so this is going to be a two-part message. Usually when I say that, it ends up being longer, but we'll see what happens. But today, we're just going to cover verse 13. There's enough in, one, in, in verse 13 for us to spend even a couple weeks on it, but we'll, we'll spend just one in verse 13. So this is going to really serve, verse 13, as a springboard into the rest of the topic here, what Paul introduces um, and so we're going to gain a lot of insights, and we're going to build upon it next week. So verse 13, Paul starts with the ideas here of number one. These will be your headings, your points this morning. Ignorance to information, verse 13a. That's the first thing we're going to see here, and Paul's going to start with this idea of ignorance to information. And secondly, he's going to touch on the idea of faintness to the idea of a future, having present faintness to the idea of having a wonderful future and having knowledge about that future. So Paul starts, as it relates to believers who die, especially as it relates to the rapture, Paul's going to bring them from ignorance to information and from faintness to the hope of a future. And Paul's going to tell them this here in verse 13. And so let's start with Paul's first idea here of ignorance to information. Look at verse 13a. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Think, think about this. Ready? We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Paul starts here with the word in the Greek day or but, which signifies a change in topic. Okay. And so he's just spoken of the faith of the believers, uh, the faith that binds believers together in love. Pastor Josh spoke on that last week, preached that section. And now he's going to address what will happen to these believers, 
the fellow believers, the ones whom love each other, who share this common faith, what will happen to them when they die? What happened to the ones who have died? What happens to them? And when, especially when it comes to the rapture, which the church here in Thessalonica is obviously very confused about. And we know that this is what he's talking about. He's talking about believers who die, and he's specifically talking about them in relation to the rapture. We know that because that's exactly the way Paul has laid out this teaching here. In verse 13, he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. Okay, that's simple, right? Think about this. That's very simple. He wants to give them information about believers who, what? Die. That's very simple. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. In other words, I'm going to give you information about believers who have died. And then if we jump ahead a little bit to verse 17, look at verse 17. We look at verse 17 and it says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Verse 17, the word translated caught up is the Greek word harpazo, which means to grab or to seize, to seize suddenly as to remove something or someone to gain control, to snatch away. That's the word that's translated cut up there. And it has a sense of a forceful catching where there's no resistance offered at all. And uh, it's the same way that it's used in Acts 8, 39. It says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip. Remember this story in Acts? And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The spirit of the Lord came and, and, and took Philip, right? And so 2 Corinthians 12, 2, I know a man in Christ, Paul says, 14 years ago, was caught up into the third heaven. It's the same word. And that what the word, it's what the word rapture means. It means caught up, right? And so verse 17 from our passage, the Latin translation of that word is the word that we get the word rapture from. So, so this word here, harpazo, translated caught up in the Latin translation, it's rapturo, and you can hear it, and which is where we get the word in English, rapture. And so this idea here is is very simple. Paul is addressing what happens to believers who die. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. And he's specifically relating this to the catching up or the, the rapture or those who are being taken. I mean, I mean, it's very obvious. This is what the passage is about. Those who have died and specifically as it relates to the rapture, the Lord taking believers from earth to heaven. They have some questions about this. And I'm going to give you clarity as to what their questions are as we move along. And so there will be a, force, a forceful snatching of believers. They know this. And at the same time, there are believers who have died prior to the rapture. What's happening to them? And what will happen to them in the future? Because they're not going to be here to be caught up. So back to verse 13. This is what is happening here. So we have but. It's signifying a change in subject. But then he also gives a very common phrase that also tells us that he's changing the subject. Paul says in verse 13, look at it. But. We do not want you to be uninformed. We do not want you to be uninformed. Now, this is Paul's formula. He says this all of the time. His tendencies when he speaks are very common, right? That's why we wonder why some anonymous books like Hebrews, people say, is that written by the Apostle Paul? We don't know. But it doesn't seem like his writing. Or it does seem like his writing. Because of this or because of that. You and I have certain tendencies 
when we speak, common phrases that you use, right? People have gotten uh, expected that, that you're going to say something like this, or this is what you mean when you say that. So this is the same with Paul. He always uses this particular phrase when he wants to change subjects and when he wants to provide information for these people. And so he always does this, and he always attaches this idea, this affectionate term of brothers on the end of it. And so let me just... Just listen, Romans 1.13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but this, thus far I've been prevented. So Paul's about to explain that he can't come. Romans 11.25. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. 1 Corinthians 10.1, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. 1 Corinthians 12.1, it's translated like this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, in other words, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts, brothers. And so then he goes on to explain in chapters 12, 13, and 14. 2 Corinthians 1.8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You get the point. Paul here, when he says this, is drawing, us, drawing attention to something very important, which may be new to the church that he's writing to. Never heard about it before. Or they need some understanding. And he says it with humility and love. He wants to help them. And that's what Paul is doing here. He wants to help them regarding the believers who have died, specifically as it pertains to the rapture. And so why is Paul drawing them to this new information? Well, he says it in this phrase. He, look at this. We do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, he, Timothy, and Silas do not want this church to be unaware of particular information. The word that's used here for unaware in the Greek is the word agoneo. And it's, this, it's where we get the word agnostic. Okay? And gnosis means what? To, to know, to have knowledge. Agnostic would mean without what? Knowledge. Not, uh, Gnostics are the ones who believed that they had some form of higher hidden what? Knowledge. Agnostic means without knowledge. If you say to someone, do you believe in God? And they say, I'm agnostic. What are they saying? I don't know. I'm not really against it. I don't really believe in it. I'm just without knowledge, right? And so unbelievers can just claim to not know about God. And so here, what Paul is literally saying is, we don't want you to be without knowledge. We don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to have no knowledge about what happens with believers who die, and we don't want you to be uninformed about the rapture. We don't want you to be without knowledge. That's pointless. And so we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to not know, and so he's going to teach them. And as I was thinking through this text, I'm sitting on the plane, and I'm writing this, and the person next to me is snoring while I'm, while I'm trying to think, you know? And as I was thinking through this, in my mind over and over, I thought about how extremely relevant this is for us. First of all, just the idea of having knowledge of the things of God in general. We live in a time where no one knows about God or about the things of God. And they might have a generic idea, right? Some general idea, but no real true knowledge. No true knowledge of Scripture, and let me tell you, that's the world that you live in. You've got to know that. When you go out here, that's the world you live in. You can't be naive to that, that there's no real 
scriptural knowledge about God and the things of God. That's, the, that's what you live in every day. Uninformed, ignorant. And so you might, they might have some generic idea, but no real true knowledge of scripture. That's the world around you. That's your community. That's why we're so eager and zealous to start a church where we just taught the Bible. People said, well, your church will never grow. You're just going to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And actually, I th we thought to ourselves, I think people really actually want to know. They're, they're tired of being confused about what the Bible actually means. And so we'll just teach it. And it's actually really simple to do it that way. You don't have to be uh, very creative. I just take the next passage and teach it to you. You could do it. And so this is, this is the idea. This is the world that you live in is the, the world that has no knowledge about God. And that's who you're trying to reach. And so when you go out these doors, you are telling people about the truth that you know from Scripture about God. And so that's your task. Those are your neighbors. That you, that, that's what's going on with your neighbors. A generic zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Even those who claim to know have the wrong information. So that's one relevant thing here. But you know what else is extremely relevant? Is that in the Christian world, especially in the big churches, the big denominations, and the big seminaries, it's a badge of honor to not know. I don't know. We're not going to be dogmatic about anything. Right? We're not going to assume that Scripture's clear and plain and that all men can understand it, not just experts. But I, this is so simple that you could figure this out on your own. And it's almost a, a brag to not know. And I think it comes across as humble. Say, I'm just going to be humble and say, I don't know about what, this, uh, about what the Lord says about this. That's not humility. That's pride. That's the exact opposite. They really just haven't searched the Bible's teaching. And they don't know and not knowing only leads to confusion. It only leads to unnecessary worry, grief, error, compromise. If you don't know what, God's, what God teaches in any situation that you're going through, you're just wondering and you're processing. And if you're listening to yourself, then you're not listening to the truth. And you're listening to the world around you. And you can go to Joe and he'll give you this piece of information. And Sally will give you this piece of information. And so the whole reason, listen, that God gave us the Bible is that so you would know that's the whole reason. And he, he could have just not given us a book. And he did it in such a way that it's clear. What would be the point of him saying, I'm going to write you this book so that you can know me and the things about me, and I'm going to make it cryptic. You, you don't have to, you, you, I'm, you're going to have to have some wonderful key to unlock this thing. And everyone can make it mean whatever they want. And you can just, you're never going to know. You're going to have to read behind the lines and, and read, you know, in between things and, and make things mean certain whatever. I mean, it doesn't make any sense that God would give us a book and not make it clear. The whole reason he gave this to, him is so, gave this to us is so that we could understand we could have clarity. We can know. We can know him and how to live for him and what pleases him and about the end and what happens after we die. That's the benefit of being a believer in Christ. You get to know. You get to know the truth. And so you can have a renewed mind. You can have love for God. You can have worship for God. You can have affections for God. You can have a holy and changed life. You, people can be saved. You can't be saved without a knowledge of the gospel. The scripture tells us of the gospel so that you as parents can raise your children the right way so your children can come to know the truth. So the church can grow and we can do the things around here the right way. 
and not just however we want. God has decided how he is to be worshiped and what the church is supposed to look like and be led and so on. And when you know from the world, then you, from the word, then you can carefully do and stay, stand upon everything that's written in it. So don't let anyone tell you that you can't know or understand. Because when you interpret scripture, you just interpret it in the most plain way possible. What it says is what it means. And you just understand what is being said. You might have to do a little bit of digging to, in some places there's, you gotta know a little bit of background to understand exactly things. But it's plain. What you see here, the most plain meaning is usually the right meaning. Don't allegorize, don't, don't try to look at, for some hidden mystical meaning. Just what it says is what it means. God has given us a very plain writing so that we can know him and live for him, okay? So here's what Paul is saying here. I don't want you to be without knowledge. I don't want you to not understand, particularly about believers who died and about the rapture because it's causing grief. It's making them no better than unbelievers who have no knowledge about the future. They have no real knowledge about those who die. And some of them here, even in the context, are even afraid that they've maybe missed the rapture themselves because there's persecution going on. And, and so they're wondering, maybe are we in the tribulation period? Have we missed the rapture now? And so they're even confused themselves because of the persecution they're, they're, they're facing. Maybe they didn't make the cut. Maybe they're not true believers. Maybe they were left. And so remember, though, Paul affirmed their salvation, uh, their salvation on the evidence of their fruit back in chapter 1. And he's going to even confirm here, as we'll see later on next week, you didn't miss it. it, it you're not going to miss it. When the rapture happens, everybody will know. Right? So he's going to even comfort them. And so we'll see that last, uh, next week. But in all of this, Paul wants them to understand the Lord's words about their, this subject. There's nothing noble about them not knowing. Now listen, Paul has taught them in general about the Lord's return. Just turn over to chapter one, verses nine uh, through 10. Same book, 1 Thessalonians. Remember, he's, he's, he's spoken to them in general. Verse nine, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from God or to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I, I mean, Paul's obviously taught them some things about the end, that they're to live holy and wait for Christ's return, right? Uh, go to chapter two, verses 19 through 20. He says, for what is our hope and our joy and our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. They know that Christ is coming, right? They know about the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Chapter three, verse 13. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. They know. And by the way, they have to know because that's such an important part of being a Christian. You live in light of the fact that you're going to meet the Lord. And that produces an accountability in you. And that produces an eagerness. That also helps you get through suffering. Whether when Christ returns or you die to go to meet him, you know that this is not the end. And this is an integral part. And so he's taught them about it. And he's even assured them that persecution was a normal part of the Christian life. Listen, they were concerned. Maybe we've missed the rapture. Maybe we've missed it because we're suffering persecution. But they shouldn't think that Paul taught them. Look at chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Remember he, remember, he says this, no one be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Listen, this is a normal part of the Christian life. You haven't missed the rapture. This is the afflictions part of it. 
But he's going to give them now. He's given them all this general information. The Lord's coming back. And listen, you're going to suffer even in this life. It doesn't mean you're in the tribulation period. And he's even taught them about the day of the Lord. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's taught them about these things. He's taught them about the end. And false teachers are trying to confuse them about all of these issues. They're confused and sad about the believers who die. They're wondering if they missed it, right? And like I said, these, these uh, false teachers are messing with them. Look, t- turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. It hasn't come yet. Don't be shaken up by these false teachers. And so they're confused. They're grieving. They're wondering about the believers who died. They're wondering if they missed the rapture. Paul wants to give them clarity. Some people are saying this. So they've had teaching about the end times, but Paul never wanted them to be unclear about God's truth. God makes the beginning to the end clear so that we can know him and live in the light. But now, because of their confusion, but also the will of the Lord, Paul is gonna hone in on these two ideas. Believers who die, especially as it relates to the rapture, and he's going to give us the most detailed information about it that we see in all of Scripture. So Paul here has given them this information. They should know all these things in general. He's not withholding any of it from them. They need to live in light of this information. But now when it comes to this section, Paul's going to hone in on believers who die and hone in on the rapture and give more details to them. Give them details so they can understand further. They know about these things, but here, by the will of the Holy Spirit and by Paul's own words, he's going to give these details to the church. So verse 13, look back at it. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed or without information, brothers. Paul's speaking to these people who are brothers. Listen, this includes women as well. He's speaking to a true church. He's speaking to believers those who have been saved by the gospel, those who know the will of God, who will participate in the rapture. And specifically, he wants them to have knowledge. Now, when he speaks of having knowledge, what's the particular issue here that he's addressing? Look at verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are what? Asleep. Those who are asleep. So he's not speaking of the ones who are, you know, snoring and dreaming. We, we want you to have knowledge about, you know, the people who are, uh, who are sleeping around you. They're falling asleep everywhere. They're dreaming everywhere. No, these are the, obviously the people who have died, the, the, the fo- fellow believers who have died. Since Paul left Thessalonica and, and Timothy has gone to get this report, and they've brought up these things to Timothy and says that, said that they were concerned about these things. Since Paul had left Thessalonica, there had been believers who had died. Paul goes, he leaves, he's forced out. Timothy comes. And one of the things they've obviously brought up to Timothy is there's believers who have died. We know the Lord's returning. We're expectant. We're waiting for the Lord to return. We're living in light of his return. But some of our, some of our people in our church have died since you've been here. What, what's going to happen to them in terms of the Lord returning? And so this is, this is the content of the section here. And there's our, there are questions. Are they going to miss this momentous occasion? Are, are, though, are, are they going to not be taken in the rapture and, and then therefore, because they're not taken in full, not have glorified bodies, what, what's going to happen to their bodies? He's going to address that. 
do they get secondary privileges? And so they're concerned. They're concerned. By the way, this is proof for a pre-trib rapture because if, if, the rap, if the tribulation was to come first, these people would not be grieved about the people who died. They'd be excited for them. They would be saying to themselves, we're so glad that these people died so they get to miss what we might have to go through, which is the tribulation. Instead, they're saying, we're grieved. We're grieved because we miss them and this wonderful event of the rapture is gonna come and where are they? What's going on with them, right? Christ is gonna come back and snatch up his church and we're gonna be taken to be with the Lord. What about the ones who have already died? Right? And so this is the main concern. Believers who have died. And so he's informing them. Those who have fallen asleep. Literally those who are sleeping. Present tense. It's a continuous process. But it also gives the possibility of them waking up in the future. They're sleeping right now. And this is the word that's most often used to mean believers who die. The Bible speaks of them as being asleep. Matthew 27, 52 speaks of saints who had fallen asleep. John eleven eleven. remember Lazarus? He had fallen asleep. Acts 7, verse 60, describing Stephen, it says, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell, what? Asleep. Second Peter 3, 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. First Corinthians eleven thirty. speaking of the Lord's table, believers who are taking the Lord's table without reverence, it said, for this reason, many among you were sick and a number in the NASB are asleep. There's, there's some that have fallen asleep, the Lord's discipline, in the light of the fact that they took the Lord's table without reverence. So even in verse 14, the next verse, look at your, look at your uh, text. Chapter four, verse 14, he speaks of those who are dead in Christ, Right? who are dead in Christ. They have fallen asleep and they're in Christ who believe the gospel. So listen now, what this is to mean is that these are believers who've died that they're concerned with. Now, let me tell you about this because what does it mean that they're asleep? Well, what it doesn't mean, listen close, listen close. What it doesn't mean is the idea of what is commonly termed as soul sleep, okay? Soul sleep which is that after one dies, someone is in a state of perpetual unconsciousness, right? That's not what Paul or any of the biblical writers are meaning when they say they've fallen asleep. That's the language for believers who die, but they're not in a spiritual coma. And we know that, we know that the instant a believer dies, now this is part of the teaching here because Paul is mentioning it to them, believers who die, as those who have fallen asleep. Now listen, this is important because we know from the scriptures that believers who die are instantly present with who? The Lord. They're in the Lord's presence as soon as they die. You say, what happens to people who die? Well, believers. Well, as soon as they die, they go to be with Christ. Immediately. They're before the Lord. They're where he is. They see him with their own eyes, right? And that's the confidence that you can have for believers that you love who die. They are now face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Their, their hope has become reality. Their faith has become sight. And the one who created all things, the all-powerful, wise, holy one is before their eyes and their possession forever. That's what believers in Christ get. And we know this. 2 Corinthians 5, we are of good courage, Paul says. We would rather be away from the body and at home with who? The Lord. If you're away from the body, you're at home with the Lord. 
of Philippians 1, 20 through 25. Just listen to Paul's words here. Listen now. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain, not soul sleep. Right? If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which yet which I choose, uh, I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart from here to be with Christ. For that is far better, he says. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Luke 23, 43. And he said to them, truly I say to you, Remember Jesus to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. And we know from Revelation 2-7 that paradise means heaven. And so that's the reality. Believers' souls are instantly with the Lord when they die. So what part of them sleeps? Well, it's the immaterial part. And you're going to just see this from the section. It's very, very clear. Their soul goes instantly to be with the Lord. We know this, right? The souls of what about Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? Were they sleeping? No. They were with the Lord. They were present with the Lord. And the martyrs even in the tribulation period, uh, uh, martyrs of the tribulation period in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, they're talking to God. The believers who died during the tribulation period, they'll be talking to God. And so, listen, we, we know even from the parable, even Luke chapter 16, uh, the, dead, uh, the parable about Lazarus who dies and goes to Abraham's bosom. He's, he's alive. He's present with the Lord. Unbelievers immediately go to conscience punishment. Believers instantly go to conscience presence with the Lord. And so as far as sleep, the only thing that is asleep is their physical bodies. When you die, your physical body will sleep, so to speak, and your soul will go instantly to the presence of the Lord Jesus. And that's what Paul will address here regarding, well, when do the believers get their bodies back? Well, that's where it relates to the raptures. Rapture, and you, you read this, you can tell what the teaching's gonna be, but I'm just trying to create some suspense for next week so you come back. And so this is the teaching that Paul's giving. Listen now. He doesn't want them to be ignorant of the truth. They're to have clarity about the end times. They're to have clarity about death. And, and it really flies in the face of the notion that you can't know about the end or about death. There's ambiguity about eschatology. God wants them to have clarity. He wants them to know. He, he wants them to know what happens to the believers who die. He, he wants to, they love each other deeply. Remember, he just commended them for how much they love each other. I mean, these are their friends that have just died. What's happening to them? And will they miss this rapture? How is it gonna work if they're not here to when the Lord returns? We're told to be waiting for the Lord. What, what happens to, with them? They wanted to know. They, they were afraid maybe they missed the rapture because they're suffering. And Paul's just gonna give them these details. And so that's what Paul's discourse is here. And it's not merely doctrinal teaching. It's very pastoral. It's very pastoral. He wants them not to be ignorant of the truth because he wants it to lead to their lives being changed. And that's why he's comforting them by giving them knowledge. Listen, doctrine in and of itself is not an end. Doctrine is a means to an end. But it's very important. Doctrine just means teaching. It's the teaching of the Bible. You need to know the doctrines of the Bible. You need to know the teaching of the Bible. But it's not just to know. It's a, it's a, it's a means to an end. It's the end is knowing God. It's living for God. It's living in a way that honors God. It should shape what you believe. It should shape your thoughts, your affections, your actions. It should help you grow more deeply to live with comfort and joy and hope and clarity and confidence. And so he's giving them this teaching. They got to know what the truth is so they can know God and live rightly. That's why when people say, I'm just not big into doctrine. Well, then you're not big into knowing God or pleasing him with your life. You're just going to walk around believing false things for the rest of your life. And that doesn't please him. So let me just touch on this second point here and we'll be done. The reason, Paul gives them this knowledge to bring then their faintness uh, 
to a hope of the future. Verse 13b, look at this. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I'm gonna give you information. I don't want you to be without knowledge. And he starts with that. I mean, this is very simple. That or so that, it's a conjunction. It's a subordinate purpose clause. Here's the reason why I'm giving you this information, this knowledge. This is it. This tells you what the passage is about. Very clear. I'm going to give you information because I don't want you to be something. I don't want you to do something. And so this is I'm technical here, but this tells you what it's about. It's, this is what's called a hinna clause, which is followed by a, a verb that's in the subjunctive, which means when you translate it, it's that you might not or you may not. And so it's a potential, but it's dependent upon what just came before it. Okay, and so there's something here and there's the potential of this. Every, this can be true, but it all hangs on this. You might not have grief. You may not have grief, depending on whether or not you have knowledge. Whether or not you have knowledge of the future. I'm going to give you this knowledge. If you have the knowledge, you don't have to have grief because you know what happens. That's exactly what he's saying here. And so not grieving about those who have died in relation to the rapture comes with having God's knowledge about it. That's what he's trying to tell these believers. He wants them to have knowledge and he doesn't want them to have grief. Now, what does grief mean here? Simple. It means grief. Sadness. They're sad. They're sad about the believers who have died and wondering what will happen to them when the Lord returns. And so what's implied here is that Paul doesn't want them to, to be sad because he loves them. But this isn't some superficial pat on the back. It's not just like, I don't want you to grieve. I mean, the Bible says it's okay to grieve. Weep with those who weep. Right? And even Jesus cried when Lazarus died. It's okay to be Sorrowful when the people we love die, right? That's okay. But it, it, so this goes beyond superficial comfort that the believer, you know what? Just don't grieve. You're a believer in Christ. Come on, you're better than that, right? You shouldn't be sad. The people you love, they die. You don't need to be sad about them. No, listen, this goes beyond that. This is, a, this is very important, so watch this, and we're almost done here. He doesn't want them to grieve, but it's not just a grieving in general. He doesn't want them to be sad about this in the same way, verse 13 says, or just as also, literally, that's what it says. To not grieve, just as also others, in the context meaning unbelievers do who have no hope. Hope here refers to matters spoken about by God in his promises, right? And so it's not how much they grieve. It's not, I don't want you to cry as much as unbelievers would cry about believers who die. It's not about how much. He's not saying that you shouldn't grieve as much or you shouldn't grieve at all. He's talking about the way in which they're grieving. I don't want you to grieve as someone who is confused about the future. Grieve, but no. It's the way they're grieving. It's not how much they're grieving. And so he's saying, I don't want you to grieve as unbelievers do. How do they grieve when somebody dies? With confusion. With generic thinking with well wishes, with baseless thoughts. They're a good person. They're in a better place. But still really confused about what happens. They know they're confused about what it would take to get to heaven. So is this person in heaven? What's heaven like? How does that all work? He really, he really wants these believers to be better off than the unbelievers. You, you're children of the promise. He doesn't, you shouldn't grieve like unbelievers do with confusion, without clarity. You don't have to grieve like that. The people in the church 
should be the ones who grieve knowing exactly what the truth is. And so he wants them to grieve like that. Grieve with knowledge. Confident, clear knowledge of the truth about life after death and about the Lord's future. Grieve like that. Let me tell you about what really happens. Let me tell you about what's going to happen. Let me tell you about where they go and what their future will be. Let me tell you about that. Sure, grieve that they're not with you, that you love them, that you miss them. But don't grieve in a confused way like the world does when they say confused things because they, they just are sad, but they really have no idea. They're just hoping in general, crossing their fingers that it has turned out okay. You gotta grieve with confidence, with knowledge, not just a hug is what they need. They, they don't just need a hug. Like, you know, let me, let me help you so you don't grieve as much. When he says he's comforting them, he's, he's not saying, I, I just wanna help you to, to not cry anymore. I don't want you to grieve in the way that unbelievers do. Look at verse 18 and we'll be done here. Therefore, encourage one another with these what? Words. Don't just encourage each other about death. Encourage them with the words. With the words that I just said. These words, teaching words, instructive words, words of knowledge about death, about the future, about the Lord's return and how it all works. When you help each other to understand this, it would go beyond just these people. Because then they'll all understand the teaching And then as these believers die within the church, they're going to help each other by instructing, helping them to understand what the word says about this. It's not just general comfort. It's instructing with the words, comfort with the words that Paul has said here. Remind people the truth of God's word, and it inevitably will bring comfort. Remember those who died. Here's what's going to happen with them. Remember the Lord's return. Here's how it's going to work. And then we can have comfort and confidence. It's specific. Let's close with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just turn there. 15 verse 58. I'm sorry, 51. I'm going to read 258. It says that I'll start verse 50. It says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a a mystery, something that's been unknown. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Meaning, some people are gonna be here when the Lord's return, but some people are gonna sleep beforehand. Right? But we're gonna all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You know what that means? Literally, as quickly as light hits the eye. Either when the Lord returns, well, when the Lord returns, and what's going to happen to the, unbeliever, to the believers who, who died and their bodies are not yet transformed, or you, who, if you're still here, you and I, when the Lord returns, if there's going to be a transformation, a transformation that takes place as quickly as light hits the eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, and this is what will happen to these believers in Thessalonica when they have knowledge and clarity about the truth. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. They're gonna be comforted, confident. They're gonna have knowledge and clarity because they know what happens in the end. And so church, as we close, you can know too. You can have knowledge. You gotta be better off than the unbelievers. You're God's people. 
And we can have clear teaching from the word. We don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. We can trust in the future plans of God, the promises of God, especially for the people of God whom we love. And so next week, Paul will build on this. Make sure you come back. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we're thankful for your word that does provide us clarity. It does provide us with knowledge. We, we, like the Thessalonians, want to know what happens to those who die. What has happened to them? What about when you come and get us? Where will they be and what will happen? And Lord, we want to grieve as people who have knowledge. We want to be people who grieve in, in ways that are understanding of your word. Help us in that way, Lord. We love you so much, and we thank you that you have given us this book so that we don't have to live confused Christian lives. In Jesus' name, amen.